Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Ryan Berman on the line. Ryan, how are you, sir? What's up, Michael? How's your quarantine been? Quarantine's been productive. Um, and it's it's funny because with my backstory, and I had burnout 11 years ago and lost everything, all that kind of good stuff. So with the people who are experiencing the losses that they're losing right now, you know, as far as their jobs, income, things like that, it's very similar to what happened to me uh, over a decade ago. So now it's not. You know, I'm, I'm great. Everything's fine. But it's still... It triggered me initially. I'm like, and I was thinking, why am I so down? What's going on here? I'm like, mm. it was great, healthy, got plenty of food, got plenty of toilet paper. We're good. You know, there's no no issues here. And then realized, okay, you're you're living a past trauma that you didn't fully address. So it was, mm. you know, I, I did it quickly, and, and 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 everything's been good. And just you know, doing everything that I can to help anybody that I can, and making sure that I take care of myself. Uh, how about you? Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of that makes sense. You know, I, I'm a self-starter, not much of a self-stopper. So sometimes that gets me in trouble, you know, because now here I am in my efficient office. And uh, I, actually, I should have asked if you're doing video, but this is where, welcome to the Courage Cave, uh, which is basically me hijacking my four-year-old daughter's room, turning it into an office. And yeah, I mean, it's just, there's, I, I, I feel like I've said yes a lot more then I probably would. And it's just, how do you help people? Who, who can I help? How can I help them? Um, let me listen and, and then, you know, take the spidey skills, the superpowers that we have and try to make sense of somebody's idea and help them sort of like put them in the right direction. And if they need me, I'm here. Very, awesome. very, very similar. That's awesome. That's good stuff. So you're the founder of Courageous, which when I saw the name, I'm like, okay, there's an interesting name for a business. So tell us about that. You know, why, you know, why you launched your own business and, and some of the backstory around it. Yeah, I'm a recovering ad guy. I mean, I spent 15 years, uh, last 15 years running creative agencies and started in New York City learning from some amazing storytellers. Um, when advertising really, really mattered. I mean, advertising still matters, but like this was like the golden age of TV and worked on uh, Subway and Volvo and uh, Sharing Plow, just just got a great place to get going and um, know a little too much now that I've run eight creative agencies as long as I've had. So really was like, well, how do I just best help clients get clear on what their story is? And, you know, we're living not only do we have this paralyzing pandemic, I think we've got a clarity epidemic. And so, you know, this cloudy time and clients are, they have all these choices and they don't know which one to go through. And so sometimes when you're so close to the Kool-Aid, you need to hire somebody like us. And we're, the way I describe us is a bit like a special forces unit. So it's like 90% SWAT team, 10% search consultant, where we're listening to a client's problem where they need change. And if you're going to talk about change, you're, you're going to talk about courage on um, the courage to, to actually address that change. And we're building our teams back from the problems that they have. So it's the right team to take on the issues. 
been a fun gig. You know, this year alone, we've worked with Caesar Entertainment, the NFL, Gibson Guitars, um, helping a, a college right now reinvent what the the college uh, you know experience might look like when so many colleges are suspect right now, since online learning is going to be a real thing and social distancing is a real thing. So um, anywhere where change really needs to happen, uh, we're being hired to come in and help assist on that change. Yeah, that's important work. And you know, colleges, of course, are a big thing where you see a lot of institutions that were already doing a little bit of the online learning. It hasn't been that big of a pivot, but some of the other ones really didn't offer it as much. And now they've been forced to, and it's really problematic for a lot of organizations. It's not just exclusive to education, but I see it from speaking events to um, offices to organizations, you know, big corporate organizations that have completely virtualized their operations and they've told their people, no, you're not coming back to the office until 2021. And even then they may look at it and say, uh-uh, no, we're not going to go back to that model per se, or maybe we'll have a hybrid of it. And that's where organizations at this time, and I really hope that everybody takes advantage of this, is you work with organizations like yours to, to look at it from a different lens because when you're in the fishbowl and you're looking around and it's the same fish and the same food but if you just step a little bit outside you can say okay here's kind of what's going on in the marketplace here's some opportunities some things you can look at and consider that because I look at this time as an opportunity. I know a lot of people, unfortunately, are struggling right now, but I do look at it as an opportunity for individuals and organizations to hit the pause button for a second and go, okay, if we could do this all over again, how would we set it up? And I think that's what organizations, the ones that we're seeing pivot is easily, it looks easy from my perspective, it may not be internally, but they, they seem to have pivoted a little bit easier than others. And I think a lot of it has to do with just being open to new ideas and some opportunities to be agile and adjust uh, the way that they do business uh, without necessarily impacting, you know, the quality of the deliverables that they offer. Yeah. And I think the word you used is the right word. So I don't think there should be any, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening, then you have to be thinking about opportunity, right? If, if you're reacting only to what's going on, then first you have to, you have to sort of recognize that's what you're doing. It's, a, it's almost like a mindset flip and you need to find, a, find it in you to flip it to what's the opportunity for the business. And, you know, if, if life granted you an opportunity to think through what tomorrow could look like, and again, it doesn't matter if you're a small business uh, or a fortune 500 business, the idea really is, okay, you've, you've rode this innovation wave and most don't have a problem with that. It's the reinvention piece. It's the next wave. And, you know, it's hard when money is tight to create process and infrastructure and put budget behind putting a team on that reinvention program. Uh, but maybe there's been something in this last three months that sort of jolts you into that. You've had more time to think, and, and what have you done with that think time? And if not, start today and really think through, okay, what do you want your business to look like in five years? And if this is just a conversation and relevance, are you is your company relevant or is it in the shadows of relevance? What are you doing towards moving yourself and the team towards that relevant arena? So I, I, I think there's no 
you know, it, it's a tricky one because, and I've had lots of, you know, quiet conversations with big companies talking about it is an opportunity to get the mindset right of our team as we start to figure out what tomorrow could look like for us and what's our role in all of this. It's the right, it's the exact right question, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, too, it, it boils down to resilience of some organizations. And I don't want to say that they're necessarily operating and they've got a safety net. So if they screw up, it won't be catastrophic. But I think there's a little bit more elbow room for organizations to actually try some things. And it's like, well, let's pilot this and see how it goes. From a remote work standpoint, there were so many organizations that absolutely refused to allow any of their employees work remotely. Um, I have a, uh, somebody in my family that works in information technology, and they basically had um, a policy of there was going to be no remote work. Well, you know, when their state went lockdown and said, you know, no one's going anywhere, well, work still needed to be done. So lo and behold, everyone was re working remotely. And now, you know, they've switched that tail and said, okay, well, you know, we're going to stay remote till the end of the year. And basically, if you can work remotely, you work remotely. If you need to come in to do something, then do it. But for the most part, work remotely. And I think, and I talk with people too, it's like once things, I don't want to say get back to normal because the normal we knew is not going to happen. It's a new type of dynamic with things. The cat's out of the bag. So mm -hmm. asking people, I'm sorry, you can't work remote anymore because it didn't work. Um, I That's going to be a tough argument unless there was such a huge productivity issue that it didn't happen. But for the most part, for many organizations, it, it creates some opportunities where they can look and say, okay, instead of spending all of our money in real estate for a downtown wherever office, we can shift some of those funds or resources, I should say, into R&D or bringing on a couple extra people a year to do whatever. And all of a sudden you have a shift to the organization. Um, so it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how all this lays out over the next, I'd say, couple years at minimum but probably going way longer than that yeah you'll you would like uh so i have a newsletter that goes out every every thursday it's like your weekly dose of courage which uh it, it's on the return on com site and which is the book i wrote and and so about two weeks ago i sent out this sort of new world acronyms for a pandemic so like one of them was uh pc okay phone call okay like the Zoom fatigue is crazy. Just PC, okay, let's just do a phone call. Or the one I wanted to to talk about a little bit is is WFW, which is work from work. And I think what's really going to be interesting instead of work from home is when do we actually have to go in in the future? Like what type of projects, right? It's like oh, today I got to go WFW. I got to go in. We're launching a new project or we've got to brainstorm and we're going to be more you know, we're going to maximize the time by all being there in person. There's no question that you lose a little bit of the body language, a little what's not said when you're in uh, Zoom, you know, and just creating that space for, for dialogue and, just, you know, building on each other's ideas. But, you know, I, I find it fascinating to your point to see what the future is going to hold on when we actually need to go into work. And then comes the office space conversation. How much money, should you be spending on real estate there? If you could do a quarter, the size, a quarter of the office and have people coming in on different days and that's going to maximize our time together, 
well, then where would you put the extra dollars? You know, how do those dollars go to being invested in the future versus just being sunk into a real estate cost? I'm just, you know, to kind of date uh, this episode, I, I saw an article just before we jumped on that Starbucks is closing 400 of their locations in the United States and Canada, and they're going to be converting a bunch of them to basically drop in, pick up your coffee and sandwich or whatever, and go home. Now, for many people, Starbucks has been their basically free office. You know, they've gone in, they've used their Wi-Fi, they've had meetings, and a lot of entrepreneurs have done that. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well on how where are those people going to go. So that's where organizations that have office space to rent, initially with all of us, they're thinking, okay, what are we going to do? But people are still going to want to meet face-to-face, especially if they're local. So it's going to yeah. be an interesting dynamic to see how that happens or if – I don't anticipate other coffee chains, Dunkin' Donuts or something to do that because that's not the makeup unless they drop, you know, a trillion dollars into completely reconfiguring their model, which isn't their model. So it's going to be interesting to see how all of that shapes out with that. And, you know, you know, WFW work from work that it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic because, you know, just thinking with the client that I have, they basically have you know, three people that sit in this one cubicle area. Well, they've rotated it out. They're not working from there very often. They might go in once or twice a month, if that, to just do some light paperwork and then away they go. But they're never there at the same time. So it's like, okay, well, why do they need three cubicle desks? They could just have one small workstation and mailbox somewhere, and they could just grab whatever they need to do and go about their business. Well, all of a sudden... You know, there's a few hundred square feet that you no longer need to use. All right, what do you do with that? And you know, commercial real estate, I think, initially is going to be the one industry that's going to have to be really creative on how they navigate through all of this. Uh, and long term, you know, we'll see how it all shapes up. It's going to be, you might see some very small, you know, a particular office of 4,000 square feet that may have 10 different businesses in there. You might see more of that instead of someone saying, yep, I'm going to sign on the lease and be in the space for the next 10 years. Yeah, some semblance of a WeWork that's profitable. <laughs> I can totally see that. Yeah, the key word is profitable. Because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could have the greatest product on the planet, but if you're taking on water, um, unless you were Amazon, and they obviously had some deep pockets to be able to withstand, because if we all remember, Amazon was losing money for the first, I don't know, 10, 20 years of their existence, and everyone's wondering, when's this thing going to take off? Well, I, I think they finally turned a corner. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. I mean, yeah. what's nice about this conversation is, again, it's, you know, how are you really addressing the realities of change? You know, and, and I always like to say, when you drive change or change drives you. And look, sometimes change driving you is not the the worst thing. It, it, it sort of forces you to think through that conflict and that fear. And again, anytime you talk about courage, there's a famous proverb that fear and courage are brothers. So instead of suppressing that fear, you know, how are you really addressing that fear and bringing it to the surface and, and then having hard conversations with the people you trust in your, in your work, on your team. I know that I would rather be driving change forward. I'd rather be sitting in the driver's seat than stuck in the darkness of the trunk, frankly. Um, and so this is the time to be having those conversations about change. And again, and you could find what little ways to reinvent yourself at first and create little experiments and put some budget and process in place to do so. 
and learn off of those little experiments, who knows where it could take your business three years down the line, five years down the line. I love the courage component of it. And I know it's the base basis of your organization and, and your core being is you know, scary times for people. You know, a lot of people are, you know, the uncertainty, I think really bothers some people because for the first time in a long time, we've had this thing where we not necessarily sure what the, how it's going to look, you know, in a few months. A lot of times with recessions we've had in the past, we know, okay, the market will rebound, jobs will come back and everything goes there. Well, you know, we've got this now where, yes, those things are going to happen, but we don't know what it's going to look like at the end. It, it's kind of like when we were kids and you know, we were asking our parents, oh, where are we going? You'll find out when you get there. <laughs> okay. Well, 99% of the time, for, for me anyway, it turned out to be great. You know, I know for maybe for some people that might be a traumatic experience and hopefully yeah. I didn't trigger anybody that's listening to this right now. So I apologize in advance for that. But I, I think uh, having the courage and that comes down to again resilience, but also, and I love how you, know, you said you know you know, the, you know fear and I forgot what you said you know fear and um, courage. Our brothers are our yeah. brothers, and yeah, you know, for people that you know are afraid of public speaking, for example, you know the nervousness and anxiousness and excitement, nervousness and excitement are very similar energy as well. It's just how you approach it and how you look at it, yeah. and having having that inner strength to know, hey, yeah, this might get screwed up, but I'm still going to be vertical when it's done. Uh, and uh, let's, let's go for it and, and kind of take that bull by the horns and let's say, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's take that initiative. And yeah. I think the world needs more people that feel that way. Cause I think when we have that and that fear of failure goes by the wayside, cause you're going to learn things. We, we know about failure. We know it's going to be, um, problematic sometimes when, when we mess up or we don't do something correctly, but we learn from it, hopefully, and having the courage and, of course, the backing of organizations to allow for courageous people to operate uh, goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, little words, like little tweaks in words can make huge differences on how you approach scenarios so you, you mentioned it a couple times about resilience and i like the word persistence i think i think resilience is a word that's often used on reacting something and i think persistence is a word that's used when you're proactively in the in the catbird seat right so again these are like little mindset Flip switch, flip the switch moments. Um, I love what you said about excitement and nervousness. It's you know these little Jedi moments where you kind of just have the conversation with yourself. And again, maybe maybe this is a time to you know, grab your phone and go to notes or to take out a piece of paper and maybe break it into three. And um, from left to right, put the word proactive, put the word reactive, and put the word inactive. And really start, you know, getting clarity on where are you being proactive right now in your business? Where are you being reactive in your business? It's okay, you know. I mean, don't lie to yourself about it, but realistically, where are you where are you reacting? And then where are you inactive? You know, you're just complete paralysis and just not making a move on the business. And what often happens with scary things is we just, it's like you just go on, it's like the record and on loop and inside your head. And, and you think that you're the only one 
dealing with this, but so many people are dealing with this. Like the context conversation of the person in the car next to you right now, they're dealing with this. The person on the elliptical next to you is dealing with this. And, and again, the difference is the people that flip the switch in the mind and they take action. And even if it's like a little, like you said, little, I like to call them experiments versus failures, little experiments, little opportunities to learn something new that can push the business forward or not, right? You might learn something. Okay. We're not going to go in this direction um, is better than trying nothing and being a sitting duck. In my opinion, I see a lot of organizations that are just sitting around and they're going to wait until this is all done. And then they'll go back to the way things were, but unfortunately their competition who's being proactive and doing things and really experimenting with some things are going to be so far down the road ahead of those organizations. They're going to try to catch up and they're not going to be able to. And consumers are going to see it. Their clients are going to see it. They're going to like, wait a minute. We, you've had all this time to do this, but your competition is doing all of this. What were you doing? And it's that head in the sand type of mentality. It's like, that's not going to address anything. That's you're, you're not only you're inactive, you're, you're, you're comatose or you're, mm-hmm. you're basically not doing anything and that's no way to do anything even during you know, interesting times like this it's like it's still lose something it's yeah something this is you can do what i i i found myself michael saying a few times that if you haven't thought about your values once during the pandemic then you have the wrong values because really these these are supposed to be the lighthouses that you're making decisions through and if if you have a team whether it's two people or 200 people, they want to know why we're making the decisions that we're making. And so you have these values that are supposed to be set up that you're, you're using as decision-making filters. It's supposed to be helping you speed up your decision-making uh, in general. So if you're wondering where, where should you start, I would go back to the basics and I would ask yourself, are your values CYA values or are they real? You know, Are they wall art? Are they collecting dust in some employee manual or are they really driving the behavior that you want out of yourself and your team? <laughs> I'm a broken record on you know, core values are not eye rolls. They're out of the exceptional role. And when you have them and they're real and they're prioritized and there's not too many, you know, by the way, maybe I'm wrong because I think Amazon has 16 values. I'm like, I can remember four. Like I just can't, I'm like I can't remember that many. I'm not that smart. Uh, so, this is the time, and by the way, that is an action. Like that is moving in the right direction. Like get the business mechanics on lockdown. And this is the time maybe to assess what the values are so you know how to operate in any situation, whether there's a, a pandemic or it's a regular Tuesday. So you can move forward. Last question before I let you go. What are some common traits you see in courageous organizations? What are some things that you see they're commonly there. Hopefully there will be a couple. But what are some things that you see that you wish you'd see more in organizations? Obviously, this is um, BC before Corona, um, but because I know that's the, the new, I've been using that a lot. Lately. Yeah. Uh, uh, because it's, it's I, I say it tongue in cheek, but there there's, I think, you know, when we look back at this, you know, a couple decades from now, we go, okay, yeah, we that's when we did things that way. But uh, I guess what, what are some common traits you see with uh, some courageous organizations and some areas where you would you wish some other organizations would, would implement? Yeah, I'm going to focus on one. 
And I think the right way to do this as a storyteller is to tell a very short story, which is um, when I was writing Return on Courage, what really sent me down the rabbit hole was the dictionary definition of courage. So if you actually look at the dictionary definition, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. Does that sound interesting to you? Like to me, it's like, please step forward. I'm taking a step back, frankly. Mm-hmm. And then if you add on like, like a layer, that rabbit hole, yeah, exactly. You know, and then, and then like, let alone, like, do you want to do that at work? No, like the, the chief home officer of my family, my wife has zero interest in leaving San Diego, which is where I live. So I got to be really careful what I say not to upset the, the hornet's nest here in San Diego. So I just wanted to come up with a better definition of courage, because when you think of that definition, I don't see the utilitarian value of doing something that's frightening. And the last thing you're doing when you're thinking of a deadline project is, this is frightening. I must be doing the right thing. A lot of my research people said that courage was a peripheral thing at best. But when they really thought about it, because they're so focused on the day-to-day, when they really thought about it, they're like, yeah, yeah, we need to figure out a way to unlock courage inside our organizations. So six months later, after interviewing you know, people at Apple and Amazon and Google, uh, Navy SEALs, astronauts, tornado chasers, people that study the way that we're wired, um, I came up with this definition, which is knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. And in business, I love how you said it earlier, but like you're going to get passed if you don't do anything. And I think many companies right now are like looking for every answer in data, but you're never going to have every bit of data you need to make a call. And to me, data, by the way, is just a means to knowledge, right? So it might not be knowledge itself, but, um, and, and if you don't have all the knowledge, that means you need faith. And when we talk about faith, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about inner belief. We're talking about 20 years of collected experience or 10 years of collected experience that gets your gut going. Okay, I think we should we should make a leap here. And then we finally get to answer your question. All that knowledge and um, all that feeling is nothing if you don't leap, if you don't take action. So the irony is knowledge and faith without action is paralysis. Right. And faith and action without knowledge is reckless. And knowledge and action without faith, if you're dumb and you're going through the motions and you don't have a fear, you're probably working on status quo. You're working on safe and you're going to get passed. So the companies that I see that are winning, that are courageous, they're constantly taking action. They're creating little experiments, putting little little bets, little budget bets, little process, putting little teams. And they're really just experimenting off of that action. Some are making bigger bets, but they're not waiting, right? They're, they don't just embody change or embrace change. They're, they're basically driving that change forward. And I love your definition a whole lot better. And I'm going to petition Webster's to change theirs. So, um, <laughs> Do you know anybody so, over there? <laughs> um, indirectly, I might. I'll have to look in my LinkedIn connections. I'm, uh, for some reason, and off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody, but it wouldn't be a shock if I do. So <laughs> awesome. Ryan, I've loved the conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Yeah, uh, you can find me at returnoncourage.com. Uh, if you, you like the content, and you'll probably like the book or even the weekly dose of courage or ryanberman.com. Find me on LinkedIn. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And Michael, you know, I know you spent some time down 
in this neck of the woods. Please look me up when we're allowed to actually travel and we'll go get a beer. Absolutely. We'll definitely do that. So again, Ryan, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.